Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You know, there has always been uh, a capital class, the investors, your uh, your rich people, the, the ones who've inherited a lot of money. And there's been these people who have had to work for basically a salary uh, a fixed income, maybe a limited upside. And what the blockchain represents and what excites me about this play-to-earn system is that these people are ultimately, they're not working for Yield Guild. They're working for themselves and they have upside in in these games that they're earning in. So what we're doing is that we're turning gamers into investors. We're giving them an investment mindset. Once they've gone past, you know, I need to put food on the table. Now I have some excess cash. Where do I invest it? All right, Lookup listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Lookup Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein, and it is April 28th, 2021. Holy Lord, and this year is flying by. Um, I don't know about you, but it's been a good one. Uh, excited for the summer to come. Have had an incredible slate of guests lately. I think that um starting to really get a feel for following along with just following my general interests and meeting cool people has driven me to some incredible guests. You know, not really kind of pushing for the people with the largest social media following uh, today, but really people that I think will be uh, super important builders and thinkers and doers over the next 10 years. We've been ahead on some topics like NFTs. Uh, we had the icon of Clubhouse app on the show. And this next guest, uh, Gabby Dyson, is no exception. So Gabby uh, is the founder of Yield Guild Games. He's a startup entrepreneur from Manila in the Philippines, who is a 15-year veteran of the gaming industry in Southeast Asia. He's been making games since 2003, shipped 20-plus games on mobile and PC platforms. You'll hear from him that he's been coding since he was a Young child in the 80s, his father got him an old school computer. He was the co-founder and CEO of Altitude Games, a mobile and crypto developer, and chairman of Alto.io, a platform that connects games to the blockchain. He's a founding member and former president of the Game Developers Association of the Philippines, GDAP, and a former coordinator of the IGDA Manila chapter. Gabby and I met in 2018 as I was traveling the world for uh, the crypto mania that was happening then. And we're in a little bit of a new crypto mania now. And with each coming mania that happens as these um, Carlota Perez described in her technological evolution and financial bubbles, I think it's called, but we'll fact check that. Um, with each coming wave of mania also attracts a new group of developers, new infrastructure is built, new railroads are, are laid um, for trains to come through and uh, it just opens up an incredible space of opportunity. Uh, Gabby has been building in the blockchain-based gaming space since 2018 when we connected. And now as the concept of non-fungible tokens start to converge with 
this concept of the open metaverse, um, there's no one, in my opinion, um, that has the level of knowledge and experience that he does, um, except maybe some of the other guys who've been on this show, like Ryan Gill and Ryan Mullins, uh, who are also building for this kind of future metaverse. But Gabby and I speak about uh, Yield Guild Games, the company that he has built. It's really much more than a company. It's a distributed autonomous organization that participates in in-game economies across different blockchain-based games in the metaverse. They take these digital items and they earn with them. They populate digital land. They operate digital real estate. Um, there's all these cool functions that they do. And it provides this, as Gabby says, this open space for the kind of equality of capital and labor. You now have the um, the possibility for labor to be as free-flowing as capital. And so we're going to move past this place of LinkedIn profiles and resumes, and we're going to move more towards a world of just opportunity, really, in the virtual world. And um, I mean, it's just such an exciting time. So I'm not going to talk much more about it. Um, Gabby knows way more than I do. I'm going to let you hear for yourself uh, without any more from me. This is Gabby Dyson, the founder of Yield Guild Games. Thank you so much for coming on, Gabby, and thank you all for listening along. Really appreciate it. Gabby, thanks for coming on the Look Up podcast. A uh, long time in the making. I was just saying that you're calling in all the way from Manila in the Philippines. And it's uh, it's a little after nine at night here in Puerto Rico. Uh, we are on opposite sides of the world, living in the metaverse already. Uh, I'm super excited to have you on. I think this has been a long time in the making. Uh, so I had our mutual friend Ryan Gill on the show actually last week. Uh, and we spoke a bit about the open metaverse, you know, this concept of um, kind of connected virtual worlds, not in, in a walled garden, but... I think everybody kind of has their own definition of the metaverse. So I'd be curious uh, for your take as to what is the metaverse. Yeah. So for me, the the concept of the open metaverse is uh, really the most exciting thing that's come out of NFTs and uh, blockchain games. Just this idea of uh, moving towards uh, these, this kind of ready player one experiences where you have different virtual worlds, but they're all uh under the i guess a shared uh shared economic layer which is the blockchain this is the most exciting thing i've seen in my entire career and how did you first get into this into this space of building the metaverse All right so i i've been a game developer since 2003 i was actually part of the team that made uh, the first game to come out of the philippines then um, in 2014, we started making uh, mobile games out of Altitude Games, which is a startup that I founded here in Manila. And three years later, we heard about Ethereum and learned about the concept of smart contracts, which really blew our mind. And we were experimenting with Ethereum to see how it could potentially disrupt the game industry. And that's when CryptoKitties came out in uh, in late 2017. And I've been really hooked on NFT since. So... Um, started developing some blockchain games. And then along the way, talking with a lot of people, seeing what was possible um, on on blockchain, it really helped me kind of develop the 
the open metaverse thesis. And now I see different people who are moving towards, uh, I would say, the same goal, the same dream with uh, coming from different angles. And yeah, this is what really excites me. And when you um, when you say NFT, uh, that, of course, is a non-fungible token, which is something that we've spoken about on this show before with uh, Justin Blau and um, with uh, Ryan Mullins from Aglet and, and Ryan. Um, but what is in, in regards to the metaverse, like what why are NFTs so important? OK, so if you've ever played a game like a World of Warcraft or RuneScape, you know that there are. Um, different items that your uh, that your character can carry. So it might be, you know, a, a backpack. You can have armor, weapons, and all of that. And these items, when they are represented as non-fungible tokens on the blockchain, that means that the player owns these items, not uh, not the game. Because in a game, you know, these are database entries, and the player never really owns them. The, the game can seize these items or delete them anytime. With uh with game items on on non on on a blockchain as non fungible tokens, that means that I own these items forever. I can trade them anytime. I can sell them. I can build things on top of them. And this is a really new and exciting concept that I think uh, people are only trying to re- understand how to take advantage of. And when you talk about these in game items, just for the audience, I mean in in mobile free to play mobile games and other games, like what are people spending on? On you know things like skins and and backpacks and weapon uh, weapons and other virtual items. Yeah, skins are super popular. Um, games like Fortnite, uh, they they can do billions of dollars in sales on on just cosmetic items that don't even affect the gameplay. It's a way of showing status, saying you know this is the tribe that I identify with, or this thing looks really cool, and I think this this represents me as a player. Or I have something exclusive that I was able to get in-game that uh, no one else could buy. Um, yeah, so status is a big part of them. Of course, utility is also an ex- uh, important part. I want to buy a sword that can get me into this dungeon to kill this monster. Um, I, I, I want to buy a suit of armor that shows I, I'm a particular ranking in a game. So yeah, you see aesthetics, you see status, you see utility as the drivers. For, for buying these items. And um, and a lot of these items can get pretty expensive, right? So how do you think about kind of like maybe uh, an egalitarian model to, you know, to gameplay? Like, is it is it unfair uh, that some players can buy their way to success while others have to kind of earn? Right. So there is a concept called uh, pay to win, which is, I would say, more popular in Eastern type uh, games wherein people can buy the biggest sword and then just beat, beat people with it. I think in, in Western uh, gameplay philosophy, this is kind of uh, not really encouraged because it uh, kind of uh, like pe- it, it, it goes against people's sense of fairness in that like everyone should be able to, uh, to enjoy the game. So what we're seeing more is that these high-value items in some games like Fortnite are more cosmetic in nature, wherein there may be, like, it looks really good and it's very limited set of items, but it doesn't affect gameplay at all. And um, and, and now, you know, you said pay, pay to win, but you're you're kind of flipping that in some ways and you're building out this this play to play to earn, right, is, is what you've been calling it. So 
maybe you can describe for the listeners what what is play to earn. Sure. So play to earn is this uh, relatively new phenomenon where uh, you can play uh, games inside these uh, blockchain games or virtual worlds that have crypto-based economies and uh, you contribute your time and your skill to earn money. A lot of the uh, problems or objections to crypto uh, economies is that you have to be rich to begin with. You need to have money to start with. And what we're doing with Play to Earn is allowing people to contribute their time and skill instead of money so that they can earn money. And what they're bringing is they're bringing these worlds to life. They're coming in, they're populating the worlds, they're doing the jobs that are needed to, to kind of fill up these virtual worlds. And that's how they earn their money. And what are what are some of the jobs, you know, that that you're describing that people can do in virtual worlds if they want to participate in the metaverse and help really build the metaverse? At the simplest level, it's playing a game and providing what we call player liquidity. So, you know, like no one really wants to play a game if there's nobody in it. And if someone comes in with a certain level of skill in the game and and wins a few matches, that is actually providing value to games already. But um, what I see that is happening in the metaverse is that there'll be all types of jobs available, not just picking up a sword and killing the next guy. So you're going to need people, <laughs> people like, you know, fashion designers, designing avatars. You're going to need architects that are going to create the, the home bases, the castles, the guilds. There are going to be people who are the social coordinators. I even have friends who are the best real estate agents in the metaverse, for example. So yeah, there's a whole host of jobs that are available. And I, I think of it is that like we're, we're settling a new world. Um, like it's like America in the 1700s, for example, or maybe Singapore in the 19, like late 1950s, where um, like you're starting a new country and then there's just so much to build. There's so much to do. And you just got to go out there and apply whatever skill you have to help build this new world. Would you say that it's um, that it's an equal playing field in the metaverse, perhaps, you know, more so than it is kind of in, in our physical reality? Well, I, I would say that. Um, the social structures in the physical world are not set up yet. So I'm not sure if it will be equal forever. I think we will have to fight for it to be, to be, uh, to be kind of an equal world. But the good thing about, uh, about blockchain right now is that like it doesn't really matter whether you're in, you know, Silicon Valley or in the Philippines or in Nigeria or in Puerto Rico. You come in, you bring a set of skills with you, you find a community you can identify with and you contribute to that community and you become part of it. You get you can get rewarded socially by status, by acceptance. You can uh, get accepted. Uh, you can you can uh, get financial rewards as well. So it's uh, as even of a playing field that I've ever seen in in maybe more than 20 years in my career. It's really, I mean, it's unbelievable. And I do want to share kind of, because the listeners um, are not necessarily familiar with like the story of um, Yield Guild Games. So mm -hmm. to the point of kind of like the opportunity set here, um, you know, when, as you were building, before you were building YGG, I mean, you were already involved, as you said, in kind of Crypto Kitties and, you know, you were... 
when we wrote this blockchain-based gaming report for my previous company, Wave Financial, you were like the first person that I turned to for resources and you knew everything, man. Like you That seems like so, so long ago, right? This was, <laughs> I mean, it was 2019. It was, it was so long ago. I look at that report. I'm like, you know, we did a pretty good job with that. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's because Gabby provided <laughs> most of the info. Um, but it was a lot of fun putting that together. Uh, but, you know, so from that point, I believe you were building your own blockchain-based game. And then kind of like fast forward to, uh, you know, early 2020 and COVID hits uh-huh. and things change. So I'd love to kind of share with the listeners that part of your journey uh, and, and what you've been doing, which is just exceptional. Yeah, everything really changed when uh, when COVID hit. So we were building blockchain games in like through the bear market and it was a pretty difficult time. Um, it was very hard to get funding and... Um, the blockchain games themselves, I would say they, uh, you know, they were kind of very rudimentary in the sense that we were playing with a new medium. And while we knew how to make games, uh, creating games and making them fun and getting the economy right with with kind of blockchain NFT elements, it's, uh, yeah, it's something new that uh, and very experimental at the time. Um, and on top of that, actually... I mean, the, the infrastructure just wasn't even there, right? Like... Yeah some of the protocols weren't even built yet that you need for, for yeah, this. Yeah. And some of the protocols that were there two years ago don't exist anymore either. So I, I was an early community member at Axie Infinity and Axie is remarkable in that it started as a derivative of CryptoKitties in early 2018. It's one of the earliest blockchain games, but it has evolved into you know its own game, its own economy, a very strong community in its own right, and so now it has pretty pretty deep uh, strategy based uh, gameplay that people can get into. It has a land system. It has uh, games that have it has axes that have collectible value, and then also axes that are used for battle that have really good, um, I would say, utility. And what's really remarkable about Axie is that um, in early 2020, they kind of invented the modern play-to-earn system with the introduction of um, a resource called SLP or Small Love Potion. So the SLP is um, basically um, a resource in the game that you create whenever you you win games as a reward and you have to burn it as a cost whenever you breed two axes to create a new one. So if I come into a game and I want to play, I need to buy three axes to form my team. And to have those axes, I have to buy them from somebody and that somebody has to breed those axes for them to uh, for, for them to come to life. And to do that, you need uh, SLP. So SLP is an in-game resource, but the really interesting thing about it is that you can sync it to your Ethereum wallet and then it shows up as an ERC20 token. So now you can um, you can put that on Uniswap, for example, exchange SLP for Ether, and then Ether you can cash out for fiat using your local exchange. Now you can basically earn SLP with your time, with your skill, contribution to this game, and you can turn that directly into money. So yeah, so that was pretty groundbreaking last year. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, when COVID hit, this really accelerated like the amount of people who wanted to, to play a game to earn money. So here in my country, in the Philippines, this was discovered in the rural areas where people were laid off at the start of COVID. So they didn't have, they had no job, no savings. 
um, getting really desperate, like on their last week of food. And then they see on Facebook groups that their uh, neighbors were kind of getting rich. I mean, in their own terms, like they, they had money to feed their families because they were playing this game. So it was pretty incredible. And what was the, uh, what was the kind of like unemployment rate at this time in the Philippines? I would say it was somewhere between 30 to 40 percent. I mean, it, it was really rough. And I, it's not like now where people are used to and have adjusted to a life in the pandemic. Right. So a lot of the businesses shut down and the only kind of jobs were available were gig jobs. Everyone in the hospitality industry, hotels, restaurants, a lot of people were laid off. And yeah, and a lot of these people found Axie Infinity. And the remarkable thing was like, these people, like, they, they weren't crypto users. Uh, they were people who were really desperate. They knew how to play games. And they were onboarded to to, to crypto because they wanted to play these games to, to basically save their families. And that's that's how all the, uh, the play-to-earn movement really started gaining momentum here in the Philippines. I mean, it's so wild. And, and I think you kind of left a little bit out of the story just how large of a role you played in... <laughs> you know, educating people about Axie and, you know, the fact that they could be earning in the metaverse. And, you know, from my perspective, um, what this is just so exciting because it shows that in these kind of like infinite borderless worlds in virtual reality where, um, you know, there is no scarcity. Mm -hmm. Um, Although there's, you know, there's there is scarcity, which is what an NFT is, right? It's a scarce digital asset, but at the same time, there's an abundance of opportunity and, yeah. you know, it's a multiverse, right? So if one metaverse is, you know, sold out of land, you can, you can move to another one and it will only be as valuable as the community that goes there to participate. And so you do have kind of this potential, as you mentioned, almost like settlers of a new, of a new world, but it's a virtual world. Um, and it just feels like a land of opportunity in the same way that maybe like the U.S. felt in, in like the early 1800s, at least for some people. Yeah, in a way, I feel like we, we are settling the metaverse with the people that are needed to build it. So, you know, back to my role during, during this time. So I had a, a few hundred axes at this point and I was selling axes to people who wanted to play and earn. If they couldn't afford it, I was lending them axes. And I would just tell them, you know, just pay me when you've uh, earned enough back in SLP. And to my surprise, it would be maybe three, four weeks and they, they already earned the money back to, uh, to, to pay for the teams. And like that was really eye opening to see how many lives pe- can be changed by basically the act of playing a game. And I said to myself, like, this is something that I could do and scale with all of my experience, the career in making games for almost two decades, the knowledge of NFTs, um, playing guilds like uh, in, in games like World of Warcraft uh, like is even a huge plus um, to, to what I'm doing now. So yeah, that is the genesis of how Yield Guild started. We wanted to scale the impact and onboarding people around the world, especially developing countries into the metaverse, into the crypto economy via playing these uh, blockchain-based games in the metaverse. So cool. And now, and, and, and now basically like you have kind of merged it, you've created a guild. So that brings us to, to like esports, right? And even yeah. the definition of a guild in the metaverse, can you explain that to, to listeners? So, yeah, so we have a guild and that means that we have a group of people that are 
uh, playing these games as a social group. And what, what Yield Guild does is that uh, we, we invest in the NFTs that are needed to, uh, to play these games. And then we lend these out to, a player econo- to our player community. So that means for our players, they don't have to pay the upfront costs of, uh, of getting onboarded to these games because, you know, it, it costs money to make money um, and these assets are what you need. And yeah, we, we kind of take out the, the friction of, of the cost required by investing in these assets ourselves and lending to our players who, who play the games, who add value to these economies. And yeah, they, they take most of the, the revenue and then the guild gets a small share of it. And what I think is so interesting about this is like the guild can then direct its players um, or players that are participants in the guild can kind of make the guild aware of new games that are, mm-hmm. that are kind of starting to take off and new metaverses. Uh, and in a way, because the guild comprises, how, how big is the guild now? It's uh, over 7,000 people. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, think about that, right? Like that's, that's a small town. Yeah. It is a town. Yeah. It is a fairly, yeah. Yeah. Small town already. It'll be a city soon. I mean, I'm thinking about one of the early metaverses, you know, the Oregon Trail, Uh one of the early games. And it's like imagining this kind of group of digital nomads in virtual space, kind of wandering from metaverse to metaverse, Uh you know, doing different activities, playing different games, but like enjoying it. And what's so interesting to me is like the, what you said earlier that the work quote unquote is like just the, just populating and playing the game itself is quote unquote work. And so Mm-hmm. Are, are guild members like in, are they enjoying what they're doing? I mean, oh, yeah. it's quote unquote work, but it's also gaming, right? Yeah, very much so. Of course, a lot of people are there so that they they can earn. But I believe that a game that is just offering rewards but is not fun will eventually die out. People will want to stay there, um, and uh, yeah, for 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 them to really want to play the game in the long term. And yeah, we're seeing this now where, you know, a lot of new games are coming out. Some of them are more fun than others. Some of them less interesting. Some of them are offering just short-term monetary rewards for uh, for people to, to stay there. But what's great about having a community is that they are our listening post to actually what's going on to the metaverse. So a lot of times before we come in and make an investment, we go and see what our community finds interesting, what games are they into, what they're already playing. And that's what led into our investment on, of a land estate in a game called League of Kingdoms. So it's a strategy game similar to a Clash of Clans. You can actually download it on a mobile phone right now. But the lands of the game itself are owned by players, and that's how uh, they earn money. So we went ahead and bought an 86 land estate and basically turned it over to our players and uh, had them manage it. That's so cool. And and how does that work technically? I remember you were, you were introducing an improvement proposal to the Ethereum network at one point for renting NFTs is that is that um, up yet or is that a contract in in the physical world? Um, so the it's it's been hard for us to get the momentum going to improve the NFT standard uh, just because it's not just a technical feat it's a political feat to get everyone to support it as well. So we've been working with the individual games so that uh, they can do us. Uh, I guess somewhat of a rental or delegation system within a game. So for example, um, in Axie, we, we own the accounts 
we own the axes and we own the wallets that they're in, but we would let the players come in and play, um, log into these accounts, username, password, so they can actually play the game using our assets. They can start earning money, but um, they, they're not able to run away with the assets and sell it. And these, this allows us to scale our efforts where we can lend out uh, basically thousands of axes to players without worrying about what will happen to them. And yeah, we just have smart contracts that automate the revenue share so that the players know exactly uh, what they're getting. I want to pivot from that because there's so many assets. I mean, at this point, it's not even a pivot really. Like at this point, do you know how many assets your 7,000 person guild is managing or operating or playing with? We we do have a spreadsheet that kind of keeps track of everything, but yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> How many virtual worlds are you all kind of playing in right now? Okay, so um, for the guild officially, there's several that we've invested in. So um, there's Axie, there's League of Kingdoms, there's Formula One Delta Time, uh, there's Sandbox where we have an estate, but we haven't really done much yet. Um, and then there are games that the guild members are playing, but we don't have an organized kind of group uh, asset management yet. So there may be more than maybe 10 to 20 other games that our community is interested in. And what happens is that the community signals to us whether they think um, a game is worth uh, investing in from a guild perspective, and then they go make a case for that. And then we take a look at it, and if we agree, then the guild makes an investment. And usually, it's the most, uh, I would say, uh, the most passionate community members uh, that are interested in the game that become our guild leaders for that game. And they manage our assets, they coordinate our communities, and they receive upside from what the guild earns in that game. It's, uh, it's such a cool model. You know, it's, it's such a cool model. I, do you feel... I guess I spend a lot of time in virtual worlds, but not like truly game environments. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think you and I are both very familiar with Telegram and each in my and Discord. I yeah. mean, I've been in the Yield Guild Games Discord. All right. We are talking about like, I think there's maybe 12 sub channels for, for games. And then within mm -hmm. those game channels, there's sub channels. I mean, yeah. the Discord is a metaverse in and of itself. And for me personally, kind of being in all these chat rooms and trying to keep up is just, it's, it's impossible, right? And this is a subsector of kind of the broader crypto ecosystem from an investment standpoint. I mean, how do you, how do you keep up with all of these games? And how do you, and also I'd be curious to know how you select a game, you know, both individually, you know, you as Gabby and as, as the guild, like what are the criteria that you look for? What do you think makes a great uh, game and, and, you know, powerful game mechanics and economics for your for your players right so the funny thing is personally um i've actually have no time to play games at this point you know this time last year i was actually spending somewhere between two to four hours a day playing axie infinity and i would go try out different new games these days i spend most of my time talking to people talking to uh, developers that have new games and 
we, we've kind of formed a thesis around what we like to invest in at, at Yield Guild as far as kind of these metaverse type or play to earn games are concerned. Um, so the f- first uh, part of the criteria is that it has to be a yield bearing NFT asset. So that means, you know, we, we, we won't invest in uh, crypto kitties or NBA top shot, not because they're not good, but because they're pure collectibles. They derive their value from, from their scarcity. They don't produce any yield. And uh, because our whole thesis revolves around lending assets to the players where they can earn yield from it, we don't sell, we don't flip assets. So we don't invest in assets like those. Uh, so that's why we like Axie that earns SLP. Um, League of Kingdoms lands that own, that, that produce die, for example. Um, yeah, so that's primarily what we go for. So... Uh, so we really like that play to earn system. It's re- it's it's good that these play to earn like NFTs um, give off a fungible token of uh, of some sort, um, like SLP. If there's an if there's a fungible token in their economy, that means it's easy to liquidate that for you know for ether and eventually for fiat. That uh, that makes the whole play to earn system possible. The third thing we look for is that. We like to see a governance token as well in that uh, play-to-earn ecosystem. The governance token usually captures the value um, that these systems produce. So that's what the uh, I would say the stakeholders would like to earn long-term. So for example, in Axie, although we have over 2,000 Axies and we're producing value out of that, we own a fair amount of their governance token, the AXS token, because that the, that's the one that kind of almost represents the community's equity value in the ecosystem. And we want to capture some of that value as well. So we really invest into these uh, play-to-earn economies as as well as you know our players are taking money out of it for uh, for their own personal use, we we really like to to invest in the economies that we participate in. It's super crazy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's a whole new world, right? <laughs> literally, a whole new multi, multiple worlds, uh-huh. and and we don't even have agreed upon. Um, we don't even have an agreed upon kind of standard yet, right? Because yeah. we don't even have agreed upon base chain. So when you think about what's next, right? Like I think you also. I don't know. If it, I don't know if this is public. I think it's public, but you you also invested in Star Atlas, right? Which we is did. a game built on Solana. You know, Solana is an entirely different blockchain than Ethereum, and there's all these layer twos that are launching, and then you have different, you know, different multiverses that are even different metaverses that are even not blockchain based that might eventually, we hope, open up like Roblox and, yep. and Fortnite. Yep. Um, and so. Do you think that ultimately we converge on one, maybe one overarching kind of universe in which all of these games coexist and interoperate? Um, or do you think that we just have fragmented kind of populations, fragmented uh, economies, you know, nation state type borders, like what do you believe is it, what is your vision of the metaverse mm-hmm. not today but 100 years from now when our grandchildren <laughs> god willing are are playing um are are not even playing but likely living, living. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. these worlds so 
I do believe that we're going for kind of a multi-chain, multi-world environment. I think what's really important and part of the open metaverse thesis is that there are bridges where I can easily go from one world to the other, which means if I'm in a world that is on the Ethereum blockchain, I want to be able to go into the world that is on Matic or on Solana. And that's what differentiates us from the current uh uh, this game uh, game metaverses that, you know, like for me, if I'm on a character on the Roblox, there's no way for me to go to Minecraft, for example. There's no way for me to go into Halo. They're just different closed worlds. And the the world that I'd like to see is where the player themselves, they own their character, they own their items, they own their assets in the metaverse, and they can go with those, what they have, and visit these different worlds and interact with them. And do you envision, you know, like, will we need, will the metaverse need police? Will the metaverse need firefighters? Will the metaverse need, like, are we going to recreate the um, problems that exist in our current kind of established physical reality and maybe like, you know, end up recreating them because they remind us of home, so to speak, or are we going to have a new set of problems and what would those problems be? Or are we basically kind of, can we create a metaverse that is really just like a utopia? What do you think about that? Uh No, that's that, that's a really great question because it's uh, super philosophical, right? And a lot of what you're talking about, the kind of shared service institutions, the police, the firefighters, even the lawyers, they're because we we want people to act a certain way. And when people deviate from that, um, then we kind of have to course correct it. And what I'm hoping for in uh, in the metaverse is that Uh, we can minimize that in certain ways. One is uh, the adherence of smart contracts. So for example, if, you know, if the NFT that pertains to the land title is in my wallet, then like it's, no one can claim that it's theirs, right? Because uh, yeah, it's in my wallet and it's on the chain. Everyone can verify that. And there's really nothing that anyone can do about it short of stealing my own wallet. Um, the second is that um, the, in, in, because of the social coordination structures like DAOs, I think we can uh, we can do kind of group cooperation and incentivization. That is a lot harder to do in the kind of in the physical world, where you know it's hard to herd groups towards doing the same thing because the incentives are not aligned, and then you end up needing a lot of these either management structures or corrective structures. I believe that a lot of that kind of management overhead can be replaced by coordinating incentives and culture instead. And this is what we're trying to do with Yield Yield, actually, is that we don't have a lot of rules. We ha- and we actually have a very small core team. We're six people right now. And uh, it's six people with maybe five to ten close community members that are doing a lot of contribution. And, you know, another 6,000 or so that are loosely... Uh, loosely coordinated with us somehow. And, you know, we don't have a lot of rules that coordinated this. We really have incentive structures and shared culture that we want to share with our community. And that's the kind of world that I would like to see in, in the metaverse. And what are some of the the, sh- the cultural norms of Yield Guild? 
And do you, and then following on that, do you anticipate that other guilds will, will arise to meet yield guild, not potentially in competition, but with a different set of values? Right. Yeah. So for example, um, with one of our games, League of Kingdoms, we actually tokenized the assets. Uh, we call it the YGG LOK token. And the token itself, it almost represents kind of an equity in the assets that we have in that game. And what we did was that we let the players, the active players in that game buy in to the ground floor, kind of the cost of land. And instead of them owning the land, they own a fractional share of that estate via those tokens. And then we put those uh, tokens up uh, on governance via snapshot. So now they can decide on the future of that game. And that's a re- been a really interesting experiment that we'd actually like to expand to our other games because like we, you know, the guild bought the land, but now the players are running it. They can create proposals on how they think the game is best run. They were even exploring a merger with another guild in that game. Um, that if it had happened, they would we would kind of fold them into the yield guild token and uh, community structure. So it's been really interesting in that we're seeing some social experiments that honestly I've I've never seen before. I've never seen kind of guild mergers and acquisitions before, right? Um, and yeah, as for other guilds coming up, I mean, I, I do believe it's inadv- inevitable. I don't think that there will be a world in which we will be the only kind of large group that is operating out of these virtual worlds. And inevitably, a lot of these different guilds will have their uh, different set of values. Um, for us, uh, it's really important to have positive sum games. We want to be close partners with all of the games we partner with. We want to invest in them as our players also take resources from the game to to kind of earn a living from and we want to create kind of a circular economy in partnership with these games so that we're actually growing the pie overall one of the things i'm concerned about are there are going to be entities for example that would only take from the system get what they need and Mm -hmm. then move to the next one and yeah this is very much the the opposite of, of what we're about yeah, and we see this in, you know, participation in kind of DeFi networks where I would call them almost like liquidity locusts who mm-hmm. are, you know, traveling from protocol to protocol based upon what they can earn without any sense of, you know, what the protocol actually is meant to do in yeah. the long run. And so, you know, you could definitely see a scenario where virtual worlds are stripped of resource by yeah, bad there's actors. There's going to be readers. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Does that happen in kind of like in in the web two version of the metaverse? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the rampant problems in games like World of Warcraft were kind of the gold farms that were set up, wherein you know there were accounts and then people were doing eight hour shifts in the same accounts, just mining gold, and then it massively inflated the the economies uh, of these games because they weren't built for kind of such a resource exploitation. And then this this gold that, that was being mined was being sold to normal players on, on the gray or black market. So, I mean, that's definitely happened before. And the only response if you're a developer in, in kind of these MMOs is to ban these accounts, maybe confiscate the gold because you could do so. Um, but yeah, that's that's been a large problem with, with a lot of MMOs as well. It's super. It's <laughs> so... It's so wild to me because these are simultaneously blank canvases Mm -hmm. where 
we would hope to see some level of, you know, there, there's not the the constraints are con, are are made by the creators to enhance the game mechanics, yeah. right, and to drive incentives. But yeah. there's no there's no physics. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. mean, there's physics to the extent of like the speed with which you can do particular actions because the game is built in. On top of our physical reality, I mean, it all exists on top of hardware, which which you know has limitations. But you know, we're simultaneously like in this space of limit limitless experimentation, and yet we have situations like that where you know it's just are we just con- confined to you know the the philosophy or the um, the culture of of our existing world. And yeah. it's, I mean, I, I think governance questions, I think philosophical questions, I think these are, these are really fascinating to me in a new, in a new metaverse, because ultimately, you know, these are borderless worlds where, I mean, I don't know, do you, do you believe that one day individuals will be able to completely live within the metaverse, i.e. kind of decouple from their physical bodies? Um, I guess it depends <laughs> on how much decoupling you think will happen, right? But um, you know, I, I, I do believe that you can live your entire career on the metaverse, whether be it uh, like contributing to a DeFi protocol or actually being part of a guild that's uh, playing something like sandbox and then creating structures inside the game and earning money inside those games that you don't have a typical kind of like you don't have a typical LinkedIn career anymore. Like I, I think that that era is honestly over. And one of the themes that really I love that because uh, I've always hated putting a resume together. That's yeah. the worst. That's yeah. why I hate it. Yeah, same here. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the really strong themes that uh, that really attracts me to this space is the unbundling of labor and capital. I think this is really important in that you know there has always been. Uh, a capital class, the investors, your uh, your rich people, the the ones who've inherited a lot of money, and there's been these people who have had to work for basically a salary, uh, a fixed income, maybe a limited upside. And what the blockchain represents, and what excites me about this play-to-earn system, is that these people are ultimately they're not working for yield guild; they're working for themselves, and they have upside in in these games that they're earning in. So what we're doing is that we're turning gamers into investors. We're giving them an investment mindset. Once they've gone past, you know, I need to put food on the table. Now I have some excess cash. Where do I invest it? And that's such a profound difference in mindset from someone who is waiting for a salary you know every month and you see it in as simple as oh do i do i buy this plot of land that costs a hundred dollars even if it's not a lot of money thinking of investing in a virtual that way is so empowering and and the fact that we can offer this to basically anyone in the world to people in developing countries on kind of almost the same terms as those in richer countries it's uh yeah it's the reason why i like i i really want to do this for for a very long time and help build up the metaverse for for as many people around the world as possible oh man it's it gets me so pumped (laughs) to hear you talk about this I um I, I do see this kind of infinite in, infinite 
landscape of opportunity for individuals. And then there's kind of the inner skeptic in me that hears you speaking and is like, well, you know, there will be capitalists. There are going to be individuals that invest in these games early. But at the end of the day, we also have this kind of like incredible competition between metaverses, right? So if yeah. there's one metaverse where maybe an oligarchy arises, then people might choose to leave Right. And like yeah. the free flow, the, 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 in the current world that we live in, in physical reality, capital flows freely be, between borders for the most part outside of mm-hmm. certain regulations that are put in place to try to manipulate that. Mm-hmm. But labor has never freely flowed between borders yeah. because it is so challenging to physically pick up and move. Right. Like I live in this home, but in virtual worlds, labor is as fluid as capital and therefore Therefore, we have an equal playing field for labor vis-a-vis capital. And that's, I think, exactly what you were saying. I'm literally probably repeating verbatim what you were (laughs) arguing. And it's just so cool. Now, taking that concept, Mm -hmm. we have a few minutes left in this conversation. And I actually want to pivot back to our current reality um, because I think your your personal story is like really fascinating to me. Um, as most of the listeners are kind of, uh, you know, Westerners. I mean, mm-hmm. what has it been like for you gro- growing up in the Philippines um, and then choosing to become an entrepreneur? Right. So I, I have been around computers my, my entire life. So my, the first computer I had was actually a Commodore VIC-20 that my dad bought me when he went to the U.S., um, for for a business wow. trip in in the early eighties, yeah. So uh, yeah, like during that time, I was one of the few people who uh, had a computer in their own house. I've uh, been interested in programming for a while, um, but I guess the biggest frustration of me be- being a technology entrepreneur in the Philippines is that the business environment and the investing environment here really didn't understand what I wanted to do. I wanted to build intellectual property. I wanted to build products and scale them. And for example, when I was starting out in games in the early 2000s, the only investable kind of game company was an outsourcing company because that was the business model that was really working. And, you know, it was a lot of talented Filipinos that are renting out their uh, their time and their skill uh, to people in the West who were building the IP, right? And you're getting, you know, a fixed hourly rate. And, you know, that scaled well. It created a lot of jobs. It created a lot of kind of middle-class wealth in the Philippines. But ultimately, you were being paid uh, by, you know, someone somewhere else telling you what to do. And that's not what I wanted to build. I wanted to build IP. I wanted to build my own games. And that's why we started Altitude Games in 2014. But even then in the game industry, I think it's been, uh, especially in free-to-play, it's been a lot of a zero-sum environment where like you need to have a lot of user acquisition dollars to gain your players. And then you need to have the money to be able to tweak you know, your retention rate with, with a lot of content. So it's been... Uh, it's been really hard for kind of smaller independent developers to thrive in the game industry. And that's one of the reasons I was looking at blockchain in 2017. We wanted to see how this new technology, how NFTs would potentially disrupt the game industry and kind of foster more positive sum games rather than, you know, who has the most money to buy the ads on Facebook and can can turn that into, into revenue. So 
that was then. And yeah, I really got into NFTs in a big way. But even then, like, um, I couldn't really find any investors for what I was doing. So ironically, it was COVID that opened up the world to me where when I had the concept for Yield Guild, I was able to pitch to basically the best investors in the world where before I would have had to travel to New York, to Silicon Valley, to the large conferences to be able to pitch them at these meetings. And now I can slide into people's Zoom schedules. And that's how I got to meet Anil at Delphi Digital. And they agreed to lead around. And yeah, I guess the rest is history. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when you first started launching the round, like, you know, I've, I was of course interested and, you know, continue to be interested. And, um, you know, this current round is coming together very nicely. So you were just saying what's next for YGG. So yeah, what's next for YGG. Um, we want to come in and go into different games and then provide the, the capital, the structure, um, the, the social support for our player community to get in them, to get really engaged, to play these games and to, uh, to, to earn some money from them as well. So uh, I, I alluded to this earlier. We started with tokenizing uh, League of Kingdoms and we want to be able to do that for other games where each game is actually its own sub DAO. Um, and then the players who are the most active in those games are the ones that are governing our assets and how we play these games. And yeah, so think of, uh, think of Yield Guild as a meta, meta cl- clan, meta DAO of hundreds of little communities that are playing different games. And yeah, th- that's pretty much what we want to be. And, you know, it's a huge experiment. We're, we're going to try out a lot of things. A lot of them probably won't work, but because we have a really good community, um, that is interested in the future of what we're trying to build. We're we're going to discover this uh, with them together. And then for yourself, Gabby, like what's your goal personally? Like, do you intend to continue to participate? Like 20 years from now, will you still be gaming? Will you still be participating within these <laughs> communities? Or like, do you want to fade into kind of obscurity like Satoshi? <laughs> Definitely not fade into uh, uh, obscurity. But um, so what I want to do and... You know, I think about this a lot because my kids are now uh, uh, 12 and 10. And, you know, they play a lot of the what I call first version metaverse. It's like the, the AOL of the metaverse, the Roblox and the Minecraft. Um, and I want to build the future that I want to see my kids live in, which is the open metaverse. I want them to be able to come in and actually, you know, find their own careers um, in the metaverse. So... I've made a decision to kind of dedicate at least the next decade of my life to uh, roughly like NFTs, play to earn in the metaverse. I think NFT is the technology on blockchain that kind of uh, makes the metaverse happen because, uh, you know, it enables you to own assets like land, like axes. Play to earn for me is extremely important because I think it's a great leveler in allowing people from around the world, but especially in developing countries, to come in and be onboarded into the metaverse with your skill and with your time without needing to have money in the first place. And yeah, I want to work with like-minded people to make the open metaverse happen. People like Ryan, people like, you know, the Axie guys, people like Sebastian of Sandbox, people like Yat of Animoga. There's a lot more. And I think these people are kind of going towards this shared vision, coming at it in their own way. And my contribution is to, to be able to scale this guild, make this happen. And hopefully we bring millions of players from around the world along the way. Man, I'm so happy. And I think, you know, the world, though, 
we're so early, um, are so lucky to have, you know, people like you and to have you kind of building this and, and the thoughtfulness that you put into this. I mean, I think that we are entering a space in the metaverse where we're moving beyond kind of our current concepts around organization, right? Mm -hmm. And like, this is really where the DAO experiment, the distributed autonomous organization um, experiment will play out. And how do, you know, how does governance work amongst individuals who probably have never met outside of the metaverse and who have different incentives? Um, and how do people co come together and, you know, scale? Does Dunbar's number exist in the metaverse? Right. Like, you know, there, there's just so many questions that le are, that are left to be answered. And if I'm still doing this show, you know, next year and the following year and the year after that, I mean, I just want to keep checking in with you, man, like a metaverse check-in, like what <laughs> is going on? Because, because yeah. I'm just fascinated by the philosophy of it. I'm fascinated mm -hmm. by where it could take humanity. And frankly, you know, the truth though, on the other side is I don't, I don't participate in it that much because, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's like, for me, it's, it's a lot of time in virtual worlds. Um, yeah. And that's the only part of it that gives me pause is like, can we, will we ultimately create a virtual experience that provides the same um, psychological uh, benefits, um, you know, maybe even physiological benefits that, you know, being in nature, uh, right. for example, provides. And maybe I'll, I'll leave you with that question as well. I think where we are headed, and honestly, I don't know if this is 5, 10, 20, 30 years, is that there will be a convergence of uh, virtual reality and uh, in blockchain and in metaverse. And when we see that happen, then the way you participate in your DeFi protocols is to, you know, strap on your VR headset and head towards the building of Urine or of Curve. I mean, I, I, th I do think we are headed there eventually. So right now we are using these kind of, uh, I would say the 2D interfaces, which are the websites that we, uh, that we use to interface with Web3. But yeah. I mean, these are going to be virtual structures in the metaverse in, in the not so far future. Amazing. Gabby Dyson, thank you so much for coming on the Look Up podcast. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to connect with you. Uh, the project is called Yield Guild Games, YGG. Uh, be on the lookout for it if you're in the crypto world, if you're in the gaming world. I mean, it's just beyond exciting. And uh, we'll catch you all in the next episode. Thank you so much, Gabby. Thanks a lot for having me, Mark. And let's do this again next year. Absolutely. All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Look Up every Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one -on -one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app.
Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have. Mm-hmm.